And welcome back to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. And with me is my guest, uh, Aaron Gullius. Did I, did I pronounce your name right, Aaron? Yeah, that's absolutely uh, absolutely correct. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, hang on, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crack open. I, I, I told you to bring your beverage. I'm going to crack yes. open a, uh, a, it's called a tiger beer. Tiger beer. This is actually a beer from Singapore, but I, oh, I am. Yeah. 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 I am kind of drinking in your honor because although I do not believe you are a native Michigander, you are living in. Why don't you tell us where you where you're living in? Yeah, I'm I'm living near uh, near Flint, Michigan, right now. Great. How's the water? Um, well, it's okay where I am, um, and they say it's it's okay in a lot of the city, but a lot of people <laughs> don't believe them. Yeah, so, which is um, kind of understandable. Yeah. But uh, Tiger Beer, that would be in honor of the. I don't know if you're a fan of the the Detroit yeah. Tigers, or, yeah. yeah, in honor of your your Tigers. I, I am a. Uh, I call myself a Windsoradian, so I was kind of you know Windsor, just yeah, on the other side right of the there. river from Detroit. Win- Windsor is, for the most part, a suburb of Detroit. It's uh, Windsor is like. Are we actually in Canada? Windsor people don't really even know much about what's going on in Canada. It's just all, you know, all all American news. People there don't even know their Celsius very well. So they're, they're wow. Yeah, Windsor people wow. are very much into like you know Fahrenheit and say something. It's going to be twenties, and people are like, "That's freezing." <laughs> Celsius? Oh, oh yeah, I'm Canadian, right? I should know this. Yeah, I, I lived for a, a, a few years in Port Huron. Right across from uh, Sarnia up there, and uh, whole three years we lived there. We we never went to Canada. I don't know why. Um, yeah. I've been to Canada more since then than um, than when I lived there, which is yeah. weird. But your, your your claim to fame is just not a uh, transplanted. Uh, I believe Indiana is that where you hail from? Yep, yep, Indiana. So yeah, Hoosier is that what they call you yep. there? Yep, yeah. Hoosier. Hoosier, yeah. So you're a transplanted Hoosier in. Uh, um, uh, Michigan, Flint, Michigan, but uh, you do a podcast called Saucer Life. Yes, it's a uh, it's a sort of um, documentary style podcast where uh, where every every other week or so we we look at um, we look at some aspect, some incident, some book, some something about the uh, the history of of uh, UFO culture and the UFO phenomenon, and and sometimes that. You know, dovetails with with some other things, more conspiratorial things, right, yes, um, yes. for you know obvious reasons. But uh, but generally, um, generally, always flying saucer stuff. Usually, I think the most recent event or or topic that I've covered is probably early two thousands. I don't want it right, to be right. a um, current events sort of thing because right, yeah. current ufology is is kind of boring and dumb um <laughs> it's, it's just endless speculation about tom delong's company and uh and pentagon flying saucer ufo projects and right, things yeah. like that and there's enough people talking about the, that that yeah. stuff so i spend my time talking about random uh random contactees and and weird right, yeah. uh weird internet culture of the 90s right yeah and, and the 80s as well too. yes yeah or in points before uh to say the podcast is called saucer life yep. um uh so i i 
I used to call these the Korean questions because I lived in Korea. And as I say before, before a Korean knows how to even talk to you, they got to know, how old are you? Are you married? Do you have children? <laughs> what do you do for a living? So uh, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say, you know, send me a, a, a screen cap of your W4. But uh, so, so, uh, so can I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm, uh, how old am I? I'm, I'm 44 for a, a, a couple more weeks okay. um, and uh, live in, uh, live, live near Flint with, um, with my wife and and, uh, and son, and uh, I teach history at uh, Mott Community College there in Flint. Been there for um, for about uh, fourteen years. Wow! Okay. And um, yeah, I started there in, in two thousand six, and uh, and before that, I, I taught part time in, in Southern Illinois. And, and before okay. that, I I was in school. So yeah. um, did some work, government sort of civil service work. Did some publishing type stuff. Um, freelance writing, things like that. But uh, that's pretty much the rundown, yeah. Oh, great, yeah. Now, you, you are a – you're two things. Well, you're three things. You are uh, – you're, 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 you're smart. You, you, you really know your stuff very well. Uh, you're, you're, you're also very funny. Uh, so be funny, okay? okay. Uh, I made a promise to my listeners now. You're funny. You're very, actually very funny. <laughs> I mean, you're funny on your podcast, but actually when you are being interviewed, you are really funny. Like you got really good timing. It's, it's, it's yeah. So, you know, but now of course I've jinxed it, but, um, uh, and, uh, and you're, you're quite humble. I mean, I'm a professor. You, you, you are, you teach history. You know, I mean, a lot of people would cop to being like, well, I'm, this is, this is coming from Korea where, uh, you know, if you, Taught at the if you taught ESL at the university level in Korea, people are like, oh, "I'm a professor," you know. And they get the you know the 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 the, the tweed coats with the patches, and right, it's, like, right. it's like, no, you're just paid slightly better than the rest <laughs> of us. You know, you're not an actual professor. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So what we what I mean, what is your status at at the college? Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm full-time faculty and, uh, it, and it's our equivalent of, of tenure. Um, sure, it's, okay. it's not, it's not technically tenure, right, but, okay. um, it's, it's for all intents and purposes, sort of a continuing ongoing, right, okay. uh, permanent, uh, position unless you, you know, don't do your job. Great, so, yeah. um, yeah, so yeah. And, and I don't, I think I think because I'm a community college person, I think I sort of tend to be sort of militantly anti-snobbish in a lot of things because a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're we're trying to um, relate to students who have no, you know, in a lot of of cases, no family experience of higher education and and things like that. So going in there and, and, you know, let me explain to you how learned I am. Um, it, It just, I mean, it doesn't sit with me well with me it's just personality yeah. wise but but also i i think it's it's a little more relatable in yeah. uh, in that context no i'm hoping to have you on because um you know i mean I've, i have been working on this is my covid project yeah did you ever read the book of lists i yes uh, a long time ago yeah well but i mean i found, i mean for me the book of lists was like the, before the internet, you know, like the book of lists was just this compendium of like the most random information possible. Yeah. And, and every item on the list was basically a paragraph and it launched you into whole different directions. Like 
who is this Rasputin character, you know? And then you would go and you'd <laughs> like, like when in, you know, 1979, you know, are you going to learn about Rasputin in, in school? And then, you know, and, and so I'm trying to do a, uh, a basically a skeptics book of list. So covering, you know, various topics and in, in the form of it. So, you know, 10, um, you know, like, 10 defunct UFO organizations. And one I'm working on right now is, uh, I actually just finished is um, I think it's nine, basically sort of nine kind of nine foundational documents to sort of ufology and conspiracy where those, those sorts of in, in, in intersect. And of course that led me to your podcast. And, and in, in that, you know, you kind of, you start with the contactee movement in, in the fifties and they're all about the space brothers, you know, and it's about, we're here to save mankind, nuclear weapons. And sorry, I do say nuclear, very strange. Okay. And then as you sort of progress, you, you get to this, like, and we'll get to them like Milton William cooper where it's just like you know the aliens are here and they're abducting people and it torturing them and the government's in on this and how did we get from space brothers to this anti-government ufo conspiracy people are being tortured and rendered into sausage like what's going on (laughs) yeah it's um and uh, and I've been thinking about that because you you mentioned to me that 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 particular angle when we were corresponding, and I was like, yeah, the, yeah, there's connections. And then I was like, what are they? And so I had to I had to sort of um, think about that. And there's a couple of there's some sort of direct links in the narratives uh, that, uh, that that I was going to highlight, but also there's there's sort of um, some thematic things as well. And if we sort of look at three phases or three aspects. You've got the, uh, you got the space brother stuff. You got the contactees who um, either in person or through psychic channeling of some kind have, have been in communication with, um, with beings from other planets. And generally what they receive are these messages of love and light and very sort of proto new agey sorts of things. A lot of links to, late 19th century, early 20th century spiritualist movements. A lot of them were involved in those same, uh, in those same fields. And, and the channeling stuff especially uh, has a very, um, very spiritualist vibe to it. And then we have, like you said, the, the 80s and 90s, we start to get the, um, the, the government is in league with the aliens and they're abducting us and, and the cattle mutilation stuff gets brought in and, and you have that. In the middle, sort of, sort of in, in the middle of this is the what we might call the um, sort of pseudoscientific nuts and bolts ufology mm-hmm. that you see with groups like NICAP and APRO and eventually MUFON. And during the the fifties and sixties and, and into the seventies, these um, these organizations are are ba- and I'm I'm simplifying it, but they're basically collecting dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of reports of lights in the sky. <laughs> and NICAP, for example, was the most conservative of these and, and right. really rejected all the contactee stuff. Didn't have a lot of time for, uh, for, for humanoid encounters or creature <laughs> encounters. APRO was a little more open to that stuff, but um, you, you've got this, this sort of middle where it's like we are, it was a ovoid object approximately 300 feet in the air that was a dark 
you know, orange or something right, like right. that. So if we're looking at links between the, the, the Space Brothers stuff and the, uh, the, the sort of later paranoid stuff, one of the thematic links that I, I was sort of thinking about is the fact that both the contactees and the, uh, the, the, the crazy paranoid conspiratorial stuff of the 80s and 90s um, imparts some kind of character and some kind of um, – some kind of personality to these beings. They're not just lights in the sky. They're people um, or, or living creatures. And so where the space brothers had these living creatures who were, who were friendly and, and, and helpful to us later on, um, especially once the abduction stuff starts coming into play in the late 1960s, we see more examples of a, a more malevolent, uh, force or a more malevolent personality. And so I, I think that's sort of a thematic link is the idea that, that, you know, lights in the sky, whatever, what are they like? What are these people like? What are they up to? What do they want? And so we, we sort of return to that in the eighties and nineties, but it's sort of flipped on its head right. where they're, they're evil instead of, instead of kind. Um, as far as as specific things, probably the the biggest specific thing is a report in the uh, in the mid 1950s that first appeared in uh, a newsletter called the Round Robin, which was okay. a publication of uh, an outfit called the Borderland Sciences Borderland Science Research Associates, which was one of these spiritualist organizations that pre-existed the flying saucers. They were around in the, in the mid forties before the, the first flying saucer sightings of the modern era. And they, uh, they channeled information from ascended masters. And, and after the flying saucer thing comes up, they sort of, you know, move into that realm in the mid fifties. Uh, they published a letter from, uh, from someone. And uh, I have an, uh, an episode about um, the, Borderland Sciences people and, and sort of go over this. And it was a letter from uh, a guy named Gerald Light. And he details that he, um, he, he heard from somebody that uh, President Eisenhower had been, um, in 1954, had been um, taken to, I think it was Edwards Air Force Base, whatever Edwards Air Force Base was called in 1954 uh, out in California, and, um, and had met with space beings at their landed spacecraft and this i mean there's there's no there, there's no support for this there's um you know supposedly the evidence is that uh there's a blank spot in his uh in his agenda his schedule for the day on that day but um that, no um <laughs> presidential historians have said nah, that that doesn't mean well, even 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 if you did have a blank spot in a schedule, that is a huge leap in logic from blank right. spot in the schedule to clearly he met with aliens at Edwards Air Force Base. Yeah. <laughs> but later, right? I mean, it's like, well, logically, you have to assume that it's all true because he didn't have anything else going on that day. Um, <laughs> later on, in the 80s and 90s, we start to see stories about Eisenhower not only meeting with um, meeting with these aliens, but... Um, but these aliens being the greys, uh, these little gray guys who abduct people, that's who he met with, not any sort of space brother, you know, ether ship pilots or anything like that. And not only did he meet with them, he negotiated with them and agreed to a treaty that um, would, and this becomes almost the, ca- the, the cornerstone of, of the, the, some of the paranoid conspiracies of the, uh, the 80s and 90s. This treaty traded alien technology 
to the United States in exchange for um, the United States sort of looking the other way at all of the abductions that were going on. So even though it's, it's a completely sort of different thing from what we first hear about in 1954, the, the kernel of that story um, of Eisenhower meeting with the aliens uh, sort of continued and was recycled over and over and over again. And it's it's tricky to, to sort of track down exactly where some of the stuff actually begins in the 80s and 90s, because a lot of it was being discussed and circulated on uh, on on computer bulletin boards, um, bulletin board systems. So if anybody out there is is of of a certain age, to remember these these sort of very in a lot of cases very local um, bulletin boards, local because you dialed in on your phone line yep. and you had to pay for long distance calls, right? Um, so, but somewhere more nationwide, and people who had a lot of money to burn could you know run up their phone bill, calling these uh, these long distance numbers and, and communicate with people and share very small files. Uh, but it was great for text, uh, text files, because text files were really small. And so you had people sharing these stories and these theories and these speculations, and in a lot of cases, proclaiming them not to be speculations, but being the truth, uh, being things that they had learned uh, from various you know, unnamed and unnameable people in positions of power. And, uh, and people like John Lear, uh, the, the son of Lear, always referenced as the son of William Lear, inventor of the Lear jet. John Lear was an interesting guy. Um, pilot won numerous airspeed records, held every certification the uh, Federal Aviation Administration offered, flew for uh, Air America uh, during the 1960s, which was the CIA's sort of private company that they farmed out a lot of work to. So um, he was sort of tangentially on the, uh, in, in the sort of sphere of the intelligence world. But, um, but Lear, and he, I was going to say Lear was, Lear was pretty out there and he still is. Uh, he's on Facebook. You can find him. Um, <laughs> and, and he says some very strange stuff, but he, uh, he published, um, published reports. Uh, there were other people, uh, Bill English, arrived on the scene at that time claimed that he had uh, seen right, so if, if you're counting this is uh, this is first bill number one yes yes many many bills to come <laughs> yes. um so we have we have bill english who uh, who claimed that he had seen a a top secret report when he was uh serving in the uh the army in uh in england in um in the early 1980s and um and and that report and he also claimed to have you know been sent to help salvage a wrecked spacecraft when he was in Vietnam also, but you know, just as an afterthought, but um, he, uh, he saw this report. And again, it was a lot of this, you know, the, the government knows about the aliens doing these abductions and these experiments and implanting, uh, implanting implants in people uh, <laughs> to track them and possibly use them as some kind of controlled uh, mind controlled force um, when they finally invade. And, in 88, you've got, you've got Lear doing his stuff, you've got Bill English doing his stuff, and then Milton William Cooper shows up. And also known also, as also Bill, Cooper, yeah. Bill, right. Bill yeah. um, and, and so Bill Cooper shows up, and like Bill English, he, um, he claims to have seen documents while in the, uh, while in the, uh, the Navy 
that uh, that spell out all the things that John Lear has said. And so he says, you know, I can I can corroborate this this information. They're all corroborating each other with very little to back it up, other than um, other than the. Uh, Bold assertion, basically. Yeah, the bold assertion that that they have seen something, and if you don't believe them, then you're you're clearly you know not paying attention because, you know, have you noticed that all these people are telling the same story? So there must be something to it, right? So that's the logic that gets yeah, used. Is yeah. you know all these people are saying these things? It must there must be something to it. No, it's it's people noticing that a certain story is getting traction and then jumping on to it because that's sort of the thing that's going on, right? And so there's a profit motive here too because you get speaking gigs when you are, you know, a, a famous flying saucer whistleblower and you go on radio shows and you if you're Bill Cooper, you write a book that ends up being fabulously successful although if you listen to him, um, he didn't actually see a lot of money from that book. He actually got very little money. The publisher made a huge amount of money, and Bill sort of had a really bad deal with them. Because, <laughs> behold a pale horse. Yes, behold a right. pale horse, um, which is uh, – it was published in – actually, it, it, it's copyright 1991. It was okay. published in December of 90. So they, oh, they didn't okay. – was listening to one of his radio programs and he explained that uh, when they printed the copyright page, they didn't think it would be out till January, but then it was out in, in December. So um, it, sometimes you'll see it mentioned as being 1990 uh, or 1991. And uh, it, in it, he sort of expands on the things he had talked about online. The, the government is in league with the aliens and, um, and, and Bill Cooper really was the one who, sort of took these stories that have been floating around in various forms for a very long time from Eisenhower meeting with the aliens back in 1954 through the emergence of the abduction phenomenon and all of the very sort of creepy stories of medical like experiments being conducted on abductees. You see it through the Benny and Barney Hill abduction. You see it in, uh, in Whitley Strieber's books in the 1980s. What Bill Cooper brings to it is um, is the the sort of anti-government political conspiracy angle. So if we're, we're tracing the development of these, um, you know, you used to be able to say the word memes and not have it just be a funny picture on the internet. But <laughs> if, if we're tracing the the path of these memes from the 50s through really the present, right, right. Bill Cooper is kind of this inflection point right. where he says, okay, so the, the government is in league with the aliens and they're trading – human victims for technology. What's the end game? And Cooper has an end game here. And it's not about an alien invasion. It's about the emergence of, and this phrase shows up all the time, right? The new world order. The new world order shows up and there's going to be a, a tyrannical authoritarian totalitarian world government. And um, Cooper basically gets exposed as a fraud by the UFO people in the early nineties. And so he goes on to say, well, you know, the UFO things, you know, it's all a fraud. You know, they, uh, they didn't really tell me anything I didn't know. Uh, they just didn't understand me. And, um, the UFO thing is going to be used as the sort of fake news to get the, um, get the new world order going. 
And he says, there's going to be a fake alien invasion, and this is going to be the excuse to band humanity together under the leadership of the United Nations to, to fight this invasion force. And so the, the UFO phenomenon and ufology is really just a, um, a, uh, a fraud being perpetrated by the elites and the secret societies and, and those who, the Illuminati who are in control of, uh, of this effort. And he took some of the ideas of a, um, I think he was Canadian, uh, a researcher named Serge Monast, who uh, had a, a, a sort of paper essay from the mid nineties called project blue beam. And uh, project blue beam was a theory that um, the, the new world order was developing very advanced holographic technology that could be used to um, basically generate massive events, visual events, and convince people things were happening that weren't really happening. And some of the examples he had were, were not just an alien invasion, but the idea that Project Bluebeam could be used to basically rig up a fake second coming of Christ, right? right. And, um, and and use this to usher in, you know, the uh, the sort of, sort of the the religious conspiracy theory stuff. The uh, the ant- the Antichrist's kingdom would arise, and and people would think that the Antichrist was Christ because they'd been convinced that the second coming had happened or something like that. So Cooper sort of takes the, these ideas and sort of blends them together, and he eventually moves into the uh, the, the militia movement of the '90s and the Patriot movement. And, and the UFO stuff gets left behind, and, and he becomes um, one of these very '90s style anti-government, uh, anti-government crusaders. So that's kind of the just right, right. basically the through line from from the '50s to that uh, that that paranoia. Done a couple podcasts on um, Bill Cooper, and uh, and I do I do have to congratulate you. Either you read behold a pale horse from cover to cover or you're you're really good at spotting details because i mean behold a pale horse i mean your description of it is about as close to a well-ordered thought you're ever going to get about because <laughs> it's a random assemblage of chapters like it yep. doesn't argue for anything you can you could delete chapters you can rearrange the chapters it's just it would would have no effect whatsoever well one of your podcasts you, you, you get to this letter is in one of the appendices for some reason he's got he's got like nine appendices which <laughs> yes. which are no different from the chapters but he just calls these appendices for whatever bizarre reason and I, what was the guy's name Mil- milton or millard millard and, uh, yeah. yeah, so he, he, he runs, in essence, fan mail as well. And this Millard guy writes in who the first half of his letter is like just this broken heart tale of about <laughs> he met this woman. They were perfect for each other and she dumped him. But I realize now she was a government agent. The government was trying to tell me this nobody that we can get to you in the worst possible way. Yeah. And, yeah. and the first half is that. And then the second half is just like. I'd love to meet you sometime, Bill. It's, it's weird and creepy. And- it's, it's, a, it's a strange book because um, most of it isn't actually his writing. Yeah. Um, his, his writing is, is, is a little bit of it. And then he brings in all of these, these other things that – and I think what he, what he thought he was doing was providing supporting documentation for his theories. But it, it doesn't come across like that. Um, He's got an essay and sort of a famous essay in conspiratorial circles, um, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, about um, wide-scale sort of population opinion manipulation and things like that, Uh, sort of the the sort of mass media style mind control. 
type of thing. He's got um, the uh, the Constitution for the New States of America, which is sort of a think tank generated sort of Constitution 2.0. He's got a lot of that correspondence, like you mentioned. He's got uh, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Yeah, uh, just just is, drops that in the middle for no fun. Yeah, it, and, and he sort of, he, he changes the spelling of, of Zion to Sion with an S, S-I-O-N, and explains in, in a little disclaimer that, um, that the, uh, it, it's not really about the Jewish people taking over the planet. It's about the, the, the Illuminati, and, uh, and, and that's how you have to read it. So he, he's, he's not a raving anti-Semite. Uh, he's, he's just telling the truth. And, um, but, but, I mean, 90% of people who believe in the Illuminati would also claim oh, they're run by Jews. Tremendous overlap there. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's like, I'm not anti-Semitic, but you all know, you know George Soros is, is the, the one, you know. <laughs> exactly. um, and you know, you know about him. So, yeah, it's, um, it, it's a weird sort of, sort of hodgepodge. And um, it's, uh, I, I have read it several times. Um, my copy is, uh, is, is falling apart. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to, because I bought it used in the first place. And uh, it's, um, you know, you get some weird looks reading that thing in public. Um, what, what's interesting is it's such a popular book that, you know, sometimes you'll get people come up to you and, yeah. you know, start conversations, which is, which is always, uh, always fun. Yeah, it's uh, and it's. I was at um, I was at a bookstore the other day, and there were two copies of it for sale on the shelf. It's it's still out there, still being published. Uh, Cooper's Cooper was killed nineteen years ago, uh, almost next week. Yeah, It'll early, be, early 2000s. Yep, yeah, uh, it was November of two thousand one. Um, November fifth, I want to say November fifth, um, but. Uh, his uh, his legacy lives on. If you Google Bill Cooper, you will yeah. get very recent like postings on discussion boards and everything about, hey, I, I've just discovered Bill Cooper. You know, he he seems like he he really knew about a lot of stuff. And what was his deal? And oh, he was killed by the government for knowing yeah. too much. Exactly. Um, because and and he was you know Cooper was 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 pretty canny in uh, in July of two thousand one on his radio show. He he. He brought, and you can go download the episode from the website, uh, his website. And, you know, he says, you know, something's going to happen and they're going to blame Osama bin Laden. Osama bin Laden is going to be the scapegoat. And then two months later, September 11th happens. And during his broadcast, he broadcast like all day during September 11th. He was on a shortwave program all day. The the owner of the station said, Bill, cover this. I, I take calls, you know. So you have Bill interpreting the news of the event as it's unfolding. And you know, midway through this, he basically and Mark Jacobson in his um recent biography of Cooper sort of sort of highlights this and, and sort of sort of spells it out like this is it basically you have Cooper launching the 9/11 truth movement live on the air on September 11th. I mean, it it, it wasn't something that comes up a year later. It was you you had Bill Cooper saying, you know, we, we don't know who did this. It could have been, it could have been the U S government to, you know, foment a conflict somewhere. You know, so he was pretty, pretty interesting. And, um, he sort of, he sort of glommed onto that really quickly. And, you know, the old sort of, he was killed by the government for knowing too much. He, he was killed by local sheriff's deputies in a yeah. botched raid because they the, there was a new sheriff, and the new sheriff wanted to bring him in because he'd been harassing people in town. The right. old sheriff who'd retired 
knew that Cooper was trouble, but didn't want a Ruby Ridge Waco type situation. And so basically held off the feds. Cooper was wanted for tax evasion. Um, And the feds really didn't make a move against him because they didn't want Cooper made it clear. He wasn't going to be taken alive. And it was just tax evasion. And nobody wanted lives to be lost over an IRS deal. Yeah, exactly. but you had it. You had in two thousand one. You had a new sheriff there in um, in, uh, in in that county in Arizona, and uh, he was like, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna take him out." And they didn't arrest him when he was at the store in town, or when he was out in public. They they did sort of a a thing at his house, and it yeah. went wrong. And Cooper shot and seriously injured a deputy, and um, they returned fire, and, and Cooper was killed. Uh, but you know, killed by law enforcement is easily translatable to murdered by the government um, because he knew too much. But Cooper was was an interesting guy. I've, I've got, I can't really call it a soft spot for him, but he's he's very interesting because he he didn't he wasn't like he wasn't like Alex Jones. Um, if you've ever heard Alex Jones's programs, and and Jones. You know, admitted this himself in court in his, I think his custody case right. a couple of years ago. He's playing a character. He, right. he is playing the the angry conspiracy character. Bill Cooper was a legitimate, angry, often intoxicated, <laughs> violent, abusive person. Right. And um, you you he's he's you can see tell he's got such an inferiority complex. He's always building himself up and always building up his, his civilian intelligence organization that's analyzing data around the clock. And and the militia he's part of is the best militia in the country. (laughs) Everything is, he's not just like, yeah, we're we're some guys in Arizona. No, it's like, this is a nationwide organization. And uh, the commanding general said this or that, but I can't tell you his name. It's just this, this, I mean, I've I, I referred to it sort of as he's LARPing. It's the live action role play yeah. thing. He's, he's playing make believe yeah. in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I think that makes him much more fascinating than, um, than, a, than a lot of the, uh, the other um, people out there. Cause the, the, the sort of serious conspiracy theorists, um, the, the, the ones who really do connect some interesting dots and raise some interesting points, even if you don't agree with the conclusions, they're often a chore to listen to or or to read any of the serious JFK conspiracy stuff, I, I just I go cross-eyed and my my mind gets fuzzy and I can't keep all these names straight. Um, I I love uh, Ken Thomas's books and his old uh, Steam Shovel Press magazine, but it's oh, yeah. it's you know it's work to read uh, to read some of that stuff because there's so much detail and information and and even if i don't always agree with the conclusions there's a sense that this person has put in a lot of time doing some research into this whereas bill cooper would just sort of take something he read somewhere and present it as his own research in a lot of cases well well, i mean i mean cooper is probably the ultimate example but but you know i mean through the 80s and 90s it seemed to sort of be the case where uh, you you, you, many times on your podcast you've made so the point where you know um uh somebody like bill english would say something you know i saw this report and then cooper would say He's telling the truth because I saw it too, but I saw it like five years before him. Cooper then can pile on his own crap. He wouldn't just sort of say, let Bill English have his moment in the sun. Yeah, yeah, he totally saw that, right? Listen to this man. He would say, yeah, yeah, plus, and then just pile on 1,400 pages of his own crap, you know? Yeah, it was really a lot of one-upsmanship. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of that. And what, um, and, and a lot of the early contactees did that too. You had George Adamski in, in the early fifties have his encounter. And then, you know, people say, well, I, I also had an encounter, but it took place in the forties. And then the next one would come up. I first saw my space brother in the thirties. And then another one as a child in the 1920s, I, I, you know, met the space, you know, everybody has to sort of be the first, um, but yeah, and, and a lot of times, sometimes that would get Cooper into trouble. And that's really one of the things that sort of led to his downfall. There was a, a document and you can, there's versions of it out there on the internet, the, the Krill document, the OH Krill uh, document, um, the report on our contact with extraterrestrial beings or something like that. And it's supposedly a, uh, a report gained from interviews with um, O.H. Krill, which was the uh, the name given to an alien being held captive by the government. Uh, O.H. stands for original hostage. So, so this is the, uh, the 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 original alien that we had in captivity, probably at Area Fifty One. Um, and this document was uh, was created by John Lear and uh, another guy who was in these circles named John Grace, who also went by the name Val Valerian, which yes. is a, a great pseudonym. Um, yeah. I, I love that. If, and, you were, if you were on Usenet back in the day, like, uh, you know, uh, alt.alien.visitor, yep. I, I believe he was quite the prolific poster yeah. there. Yep. Yeah, Val Valerian was, was, was huge on all alien visitors. And I, I think I was on there sort of, sort of, yeah, yeah, I was on about ninety four, ninety five. I started uh, getting onto Usenet, and, and he was he was on there a lot. So they create this thing basically as a uh, as a trap to uh, to see who will claim that they saw it, and so they'll they'll know who's legit and who's not. And um, Cooper, of course, takes says, the bait. <laughs> t- takes the bait. Absolutely, falls for it. And uh, the way Lear tells the story, or has told the story since. Um, he was talking about this on like a, a TV show or a, a radio show that, that Lear and Grace were, or that Lear was also on. And during a commercial break, Lear says, he sort of takes Cooper aside and says, you know, Bill, you know, John and I cooked that thing up just as a, a hoax, you know, yeah. you know, don't, don't go down this road. Yeah, and yeah. Cooper gets mad and says, I know what I saw, John, you know, you can't, you can't, yeah. you know, keep me quiet. Take you out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think he, he probably he, he did make many veiled death threats to people. Yes, and some not so veiled. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he he would um, get into uh, get into uh, you know altercations with people back when he was on the the UFO lecture circuit. He would he would drink too much and he would get in fights and uh, often not really carry through on his threats because he. He wasn't super physically fit, and he had a uh, had a, a prosthetic leg. He uh, he lost his leg in a, uh, a motorcycle or car accident or mo- motorcycle accident. He was run off the road. He claims by you know dark forces, yeah, yeah. of course. Um, his detractors say he was probably drunk, but uh, he would do whole episodes, sort of attacking those who you know on. On Usenet would say Bill Cooper was drunk again last night on his show. He'd do a whole hour about how no he wasn't. You know, it was just yeah. sort of, and then he'd bring on neighbors to testify that he's never drunk and angry. It's, it's, yeah. um, it's hilarious. And in, and fact, some, in fact, Lear is the true drunk in this. He, right? I mean, he, he, he was great at projecting. Yes, yes, he projected a lot. Um, a lot of the whole accuse everybody else of what I'm doing, yeah. sort of thing. Um, but he was. 
he was fascinating, and he uh, he he was one of the the people who went down and and you know broadcast the show from uh, from Waco, Texas during the Branch Davidian siege. Um, that was really where he starts to get into the Patriot movement stuff. Um, and uh, oh, he's he's the show is just and almost every episode of the show is available to download as mp3s uh at uh, at the website you can google william cooper his show is called hour of the time the hour of the time and it's it's interesting because it, it's it's mostly cooper and callers uh, very rarely is there an interview of any kind but um it really is in a lot of ways almost a um a a sort of conspiratorial version of Sort of the the mainstream right wing talk talk radio of the nineties. He's uh, he's he's crazy Rush Limbaugh or crazier Rush Limbaugh, if you will. Um, and uh, it, it's 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 entertaining in small doses. Um, sometimes I go on a, a Cooper binge and I'll I'll listen to it, you know, for a few hours, and then it's like I it's I've got to be done with it <laughs> for a while because it's too much. A lot of these sort of things that got us from Space Brothers to to you know one world government space aliens treaties abducting humans and torturing them it, you know it's just it's it's just a lot of assertion and it just sort of seems like if here you know Aaron I'm asserting you know look, look I was a Green Beret and you know in Vietnam and came across these documents and then you know you are asserting you know I was in the Navy and I saw these documents and it's like well that's all we got you know like, like it's very hard for me to say your assertion is not true but my assertion is true and when you kind of have all these assertions as out there it's like you either have to believe all of them or you know none of them like like have you this is why it just sort of seems like like why are there 200 different alien races on the earth because you've seen a gray and i've seen a little blue furry you know and yep. we have the same evidence i, I saw it and, and if you say well you were just imagining but aaron you saw the you saw the real alien like like there's there's, there's no basis for right. you know for rejecting one claim and not another and what's interesting it's interesting that you bring that up because the, the contactees back in the 1950s um there was sort of a, a unspoken rule that you don't knock the other guy's story yeah, yeah. because you know that that you know your story has just as much evidence supporting it as as theirs and so you you'd go to a, a flying saucer convention um like at giant rock or um buck nelson's farm out in missouri and you'd see 15 contactees 10 of which are telling stories that are factually mutually exclusive um you know i i saw the martians and they were like this and i saw the martians and they were completely different and and you don't really see many of them saying you know george van tassel's a clown and a liar because you know the people from venus and saturn are really like this yes, you don't yes. see that because everybody knew that everybody makes more money yeah if everybody is at the show and you don't want to blackball anybody because you might be, you know, you don't know if you're going to be the one sort of yeah. shunned as being a fraud. So everybody sort of was cool and, uh, and, and everybody made a little bit of money selling their books and uh, going to shows. Well, because, see, I mean, with the exception of Lear, I mean, and probably because most of these people really did have careers, you know, in waffle houses, like, you know, I mean, that was their choice, right? It's like, work in a roadside waffle house or lecture circuit and you, you can sort of see the the motivation yeah. for getting on this gravy train right you know this lecture circuit and yeah. people look up to you and then and and the the sort of john lear bill cooper 
Bill English crew was was phenomenally popular in the late 1980s, and it was it was really a, a challenge to more moribund button down organizations like MUFON, uh, which really was the new, was the only the last major UFO investigation organization left standing by that point. NICAP and APRO had shut down by the late eighties. Um, it, it's, it's a challenge because MUFON is, is sort of opening itself up to abduction research and, and things like that, but it's still very much, it was still very much a cataloging lights in the sky thing. And then now you've got John Lear and Bill Cooper and Bill English coming around talking about this really wild stuff and um, in 1989, the uh, the MUFON conference in in uh, Nevada in 1989, um, Walt Andrus, who ran MUFON at the time, said, "You know, we're, we're you know we don't want people like Cooper and Lear and those those nut jobs here." And John Lear said, "Okay, we'll have our own convention the same weekend down the street." Yeah. And MUFON very quickly says, "Okay, we can we can we can work on this. We can find spots." So so Cooper spoke and, and Bill English spoke, and I think Lear spoke as well at that. Uh, and that was also the the year of MUFON where um, Bill Moore, another, another Bill, uh, yeah, yeah. Bill Bill Moore uh, gave his uh, speech where he basically came clean about having passed information about UFO research and UFO researchers to uh, the CIA. And uh, other elements of the government, and uh, talked about his role in the, uh, the the Paul Benowitz thing, sort of conv- um, sort of assisting Paul Benowitz in. It's a hugely complicated story. Basically, yeah. Benowitz is one of the the sort of cornerstones of of some of this paranoia um, because he was being fed information by the Air Force um, that. Uh, you know, there was an alien invasion force and, you know, abductions were part of this grand scheme. And it was all a disinformation effort to because he was looking too closely at some stuff near an Air Force base in Albuquerque that he shouldn't have been looking at. Yeah. And so he was being disinformed. Um, watch the documentary Mirage Men or read Greg Bishop's book Project Beta for a lot of really good information about that. But but Bill Moore was there basically saying, ufology, you've been duped. If you yeah. think you have a contact in the government, they are using you. You are not using them. Um, yeah. And so a lot of what people are saying is not true. And I know it because I was part of promulgating it, which sort of you know ties into the, the Cooper and Lear stuff because yeah. it's a lot of what they were talking about was based on stuff that, that Moore discussed being disinformation. So 1989 really was a, a, a watershed year. And you start to see by the early 90s um, that paranoid stuff start to fade a little bit um, and become part of the just more of the background noise yeah. of ufology. But because all this stuff was on the internet, it lasts forever. Yeah. So people who get online in the mid-90s discover all of these documents out there. And so these stories continue to live. And in the offline world, um, the next episode of The Saucer Life in a couple weeks is going to be about uh, some of the works of a a guy known as Commander X, uh, whose books were published by um, longtime UFO uh, figure Timothy Green Beckley. Well, up through today, there's still Commander X books coming out, but they were 
they were, you know, basically compilations and expansions on the Lear Cooper English right. style paranoia, um, underground bases and, and, yeah. you know, firefights between American soldiers and aliens <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's, it's hugely fun. It was, they were always advertised in tabloids like the weekly world news. Yeah. Um, I remember being in, in junior high and high school and, and, you know, trying to track down commander X yeah. books and, um, and then, like, I wonder who Commander X is. Is he a real, you know, insider who's on the run from the government for telling us these things? No, it was mostly written by um, conspiracy theorist Jim Keith, who was just having a good okay. time. Right. Um, but that's disputed. So right. we'll talk about that in the episode, too. But um, so it, it wasn't just on the Internet. It was on the bookshelves as well. Right. And, and so it had a, a long reach. Right. I was going to say the. Um, I mean, I mean, today, you know, I mean, it's you know, it's it's kind of sarcasm. Like, it was, well, I saw it on the internet. It must be true. <laughs> but you know, when you first kind of got onto BBSs back in the day, and and uh, you know, I called it the, it was we called it the G file section. You know, there were sort of the message boards, and there were these G files. You know, uh, where there's all these like the Krill files and all these sorts of things. You, you could find all these text files. And given you could kind of go on and then you get onto Usenet and FTP sites, you could find like uh, illegal software and that you could find like, you know, all these games you didn't have to pay for anymore. And, and then, yeah, that it almost sort of set it up that, you know, if you're finding illegal games, maybe you're also finding other stuff that it, it being on the internet or on a BBS almost lent it credibility that, that does not have today obviously if you saw well, well i saw it on the internet yeah well fuck you <laughs> you know like, like you know but you can swear by the way but uh did you kind of find that that that, that, yeah. that some of that just really helped pump up the absolutely because it was new and and how even even i mean think about like, movies in the 80s and the early 90s there's always hackers around you know breaking into things yeah. and liberating information and things like that and um that's, I mean, that's how I felt. I, I didn't believe a lot of the stuff that I found, but I believed that the truth might be in one of those files. You know, maybe yeah. I would find a file that was actually true. There was one, you'll love this. <laughs> my sophomore year of college and, um, and my, my, my roommate and I have been moved into this unused room in the basement because our window was stuck. It was the middle of winter. Um, so <laughs> until they could fix our window, we were moved to the basement where they usually didn't have people because it was a fire hazard and, and <laughs> the, the dorm room wasn't up to code. But I was in this basement. I had my computer. I was on the internet. I found this file that had the IP addresses supposedly for a bunch of Air Force bases. Okay. So I'm just like, well, I'm going to just start plugging these things into Telnet and FTP and, and see if I can get right, into yeah, any yeah. of the, My roommate actually walked over and unplugged my computer <laughs> and said, are you an idiot? One, you're not going to find anything. And two, if you do, we're going to prison. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so stop. But yeah, there's this, this idea that, you know, that, you know that there's so much, that there's a sense that it's, it's illicit, it's forbidden, and even if you don't find the truth, there's a, a kind of transgressive thrill to to looking through these things, especially when everything's in the sort of you know sans serif you know computer text and yeah. uh, sort of Unicode looking stuff, and and sometimes it would have like in capital letters confidential yeah. at the top. And I honestly I think that was one of the reasons Behold a Pale Horse was as successful as it was. Um, I, I've got this sort of typographical theory that uh, the fact that Cooper put um, the, in capital letters top secret 
at the as the the you know header of every page surrounded by asterisks. I I really think that was one of the things that that lent it this sort of not I don't want to say credibility, but it lent the book this sense that that this was something I shouldn't be looking at. Yeah. Which yeah. is fun. You know, everybody likes to look at stuff they shouldn't be looking at. Yeah. Um information pirated versions of tie fighter that you play instead of writing papers you know <laughs> all the stuff all the stuff we did back yeah. in uh, back in the 90s but um but yeah I, I absolutely agree that that this this idea that that you know the stuff is is out here amongst other illegal things might make it real yeah, or if, yeah. if not real then at least super interesting well i think too is like john john lear and again I think it seemed like in the eighties he was like I, I refer to him as a bit of an empresario. Yeah, I mean he's a bit of a blob today, but but he was this dashing pilot dude who had the name and probably had some coin. People just assumed like you know he had some connections, yeah. you know, in the military and the CIA and and everywhere you go, it's the exact same boilerplate biography, right? And, and I, I've got a friend who's a pilot, and I, I sent it to him, and he's got, there's this thing about like um, you know he has like what is it earned all these certifications granted by the FAA, and so I sent this to a, a pilot friend. I'm like what does that mean? And he's like, <laughs> like, can you do that? And he's like, yeah, but it's like, that just means you got a lot of time on your hands. Like it's, it doesn't really mean too much. It just means you have a lot of time on your hands. Like there's no reason to do that. Right. Yeah. 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 Which, which makes sense. It, it, it's like, you know, if, if you're, we sort of take it to mean, and he sort of wanted us to take it to mean I'm a super good pilot because yeah, they yeah. gave me all these certifications. No, you just got a lot of flying time in. You know, (laughs) so why weren't you actually working as a pilot? Why are you taking all these tests? Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of these sort of foundational documents are kind of come through Lear, like Lear writes them up and, or somebody talks to Lear and then Lear backs this person, person up. And, and you had a, you had a great uh, line about Lear that, you know, he sees, whereas Cooper went batshit and basically at some point I call it signed his own death warrant. Uh, whereas Lear has sort of like, and I think your line was the grand old statesman of ufology or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. He, he sort of vanishes in, in the mid to late nineties and, and then sort of comes back down the mountain in, um, yeah. in 2003, he went on uh, coast to coast AM with art bell. And I'll always remember this because I was driving overnight. Right. Um, it's my, my, my goddaughter's christening and then something else like three hours away. And then I was driving, I think I drove like eight hours overnight to a job interview that went very badly. And, oh, and while I was driving over, it was like foggy. It was November. And I was listening to, to John Lear on Art Bell. And it was, you know, why have you come back, John? You've been off out of the scene for a while. And, well, I just wanted to, you know, tell people – what my ideas are and what I know to be true and, and just to put that out there to start conversations. And he, he delivers what, what Art Bell would call the John Lear briefing. And, and basically <laughs> Lear was like, imagine you're in a dark room, you're sat down and this is what they tell you. And it's basically all the stuff from the late eighties. And because Art Bell, God bless him, was an amazing radio host. He did not have a very deep knowledge of ufology or a lot of these subjects. I mean, you can tell when listening to the show, it's like, he really, he's covering up for a lot of the, the fact that he, he doesn't, he should be asking these questions, but he's not because he doesn't really know the stuff. And so Art's like, this is astounding information, John, you know? And, and so it comes down to the question, would you tell the American people 
all of this if you were in charge. And, um, you know, art, as art often did, said, no, I wouldn't. You know, I, I don't think the American people can handle it. You know, the, the, the fundamentalist Christians, the, the fundamentalists of all religions would, would rebel. And, and so it becomes this thing. And then, then Lyra goes, would later come back the next year and, and sort of reestablish this, this presence that he's pretty much continued to this day as being this sort of, this sort of elder statesman gadfly. That was the word, you know, elder statesman, yes. Weirdo. And uh, a lot of stuff about, uh, about alien bases on the moon, um, about a, a, a machine on the moon that is powered by an alien war machine that is powered by souls. Um, and, and so there's like a soul collection machine on the moon. Uh, he sort of talked about that a little bit in 1988. He said, you know, if you're dying and, and you know, you see like the light, you know, don't go towards the light because that's the alien machine eating your soul. You know, it, it, don't go towards the light. So, you know, he, he's still on, on social media and, and Facebook. And I think the last time I looked at his stuff on Facebook, he was mostly complaining about the movers he hired and, and he had to move and find a place. It was very banal sort of crotchety old man stuff. Um, yeah. So he used to have a page on Wicked and it's gone. And now he just basically is like kind of a mostly harmless single sentence under his dad's biography on, on Wikipedia. It's like, you know, has a son called John Lear. The end. <laughs> like yeah. That. yeah. And it's, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't know if that was vindictive of Wiki editors or it's just like, you know, you can write this stuff about John Lear and all what you're just doing is citing every other page. It cites every other page with the same regurgitated biography yep. and nothing other than we can establish he's the son of, you know, William Lear. Yeah. In, in the end, you know, John Lear's biggest contributions to ufology were basically signal boosting other more significant yes. people. That's a good way um, to put it, yeah. Bill Cooper, uh, he was, he was on the, on the Bob Lazar train, you know, back yeah. in, uh, back in the day. And, um, and the thing is, I mean, Lear never wrote a book. Um, he did the lecture circuit thing, but just for a few years, I think they're in the late eighties, maybe a little bit into the nineties. And then he sort of, you know, leaves the scene. He, I mean, Wikipedia standards for notability are wildly variable. Um, I'm not sure they have standards for variable. Inconsistent at times. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is this a notable person? Well, I think it is, but um, nobody else has ever heard of him. So, but I I think, yeah, Lear, his significance was, was boosting other people and, and getting, getting names out there. And, you know, his, his credibility sort of stems from the fact that he's John Lear's son and apparently is a pilot. And that's a, about it he won some air race well this guy won an air race he must know about the aliens you know it, it, yeah. it's it's sort of it's like the the gap in eisenhower's schedule you know there's yeah. you know you know we go from point a to point z w- oh, without yeah. any sort of evidence in between um but but it, he's he's an entertaining guy he's a he's a he's a fun guy um he's uh I can't recommend Mark Jacobson's uh, book about Cooper. It's called Pale Horse Rider uh, enough um, because he, he talks to a lot of these people. He talks to Lear. Um, oh, okay. so, so Lear appears in there. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's just fun when Lear shows up because you get the impression that you can't believe much of what the, the guy says. He's, yeah. Lear's in a lot of ways having fun. 
Yeah. I think. I mean, you know, if you go back and you sort of read a lot of these things that were kind of really got their origin in Paranet was, I think, the, the central yes. hub for this is Paranet. I mean, a lot of it is just like, oh, yeah, that's just like core dogma today. It was all kind of new back then. But my feeling was that, I mean, especially in the early days, I mean, kids today, they, you just turn on the computer and there's the internet, right? They don't yep. really understand of like, I got this modem and this two-page instruction guide that is not, I mean, there are English words in there, but it's not really <laughs> English I recognize. And go ahead, hook it up, find a BBS. So to get online, you had to be a pretty nuts and bolts guy to begin with. And my sort of feeling was in the early days, you know, a lot of people online could believe in UFOs, but they're more of your, you know, your NICAP nuts and boltsers. And then you, you get Lear and Bill English and these people, Cooper on the scene, they're going wild about alien abductions and bases two miles underground and alien hybrids that cry like babies. And, and the, the core nuts and bolts are who are like, the only thing I believe in is a modem, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I can, I can, they're like really pissed off at these, these people. And, and I think that's why when kind of Lear sort of kind of admitted that, you know, him and uh, Val Valerian. I yeah. John was, Grace. Yeah. yeah. Where they kind of cooked up the, Krill files a bit that that was they they were just tossed out of the community because the the nuts and boltsers I think still kind of ruled which I I I don't really follow MUFON politics today but I I get the feeling that MUFON is kind of going over to that spiritualism the the, the yeah. pendulum swinging back and there, people are and and part of the part of the thing is that that MUFON is I mean how many filing cabinets full of sighting reports do you need. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. and, and basically the only other thing they do is basically report on what other researchers do and what other theorists are doing. And I think the whole to the stars Academy with Tom DeLong and the, uh, the, the revelation about the, the Pentagon paying more attention to UFOs than they had ever admitted before. I think that's kind of shifted the focus away from MUFON um, because, you know, it, here's the government sort of, it's saying that they're paying attention to this stuff. Uh, doesn't, tell us what the things are that they're paying attention to, but uh, neither do MUFON's filing cabinets really give us any clue to what these things are. And, and MUFON has been sort of rocked by scandal um, a bit. They've had some... No, no names, no lawsuits. No names, no lawsuits, but they've had, uh, they've had a number of... Um, they, they've, well, they're, they're most... Actually, I've forgotten about the, the most recent one. Um, I was more focused on some state directors who had made some ill-advised uh, social media posts. But, yeah, that um, too. Yeah. But uh, their, their executive director is... Um, the most recent executive director was uh, the subject of some investigations yeah, that, yeah. that occasioned his resignation or removal <laughs> from the board. Um, I've got to say, this shouldn't get us a lawsuit. I found uh, NICAP's press release that they sent out to be one of the most uninspiring, useless press releases I've ever seen. It's like, this is, this is bad, guys. This is, stop. And you get the sense that in the past, MUFON was – you had guys like John Schusler and, and, uh, and Walt Andrus and these sort of, sort of solid – solid citizens who, who were very serious-minded people and, and good researchers in their own right. John Schusler did, did a huge amount of research, um, really interesting stuff. The, the Cash Landrum case, which is one of the most interesting stories. I haven't done an episode on it because I'm sort of saving it for when I, I need a really good episode. But um, <laughs> it, it's, you know, 
women have this sighting of something they can't explain, and then they've got radiation burns, you know, afterwards. So there's like physical trace evidence and things like that. You know, he did a lot of work on that. And, um, and now I age of, of massive UFO investigation organizations is, is over. Um, right. it's probably been over for about 20 years, but nobody's right. noticed. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we're seeing sort of the, the final winding down the, the real interesting work is probably being done by people who we, do not know because they're keeping to themselves until they have something interesting to say instead of putting out a, a magazine every other month because people have paid 40 bucks a year to get a magazine. So kind of like actual research in science, you, you say something when you have something to say rather than say something because you've got to keep the money rolling in. Um, so at the times are changing. I think the internet has changed a lot of things. I think the social media internet has changed right. a lot of things. Um, people can get their information from a variety of sources very, very quickly. And all of those sources seem to be able to present themselves as being credible, whether they are or not. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a, a low barrier to entry for people. Uh, thanks to YouTube, you don't even have to read anything anymore. <laughs> you, you can just... Um, and this is, I mentioned this in every interview I do. It's kind of irksome that, uh, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to do conspiracy theory stuff, you had to read some pretty intense yeah. pieces of research like Ken Thomas's books or, or all of those JFK books that are, that are just mind numbing. Um, now you just watch a five minute YouTube video and, and suddenly, you know, as much as everybody knows, and, and you're going to go on Facebook and explain to your, <laughs> your nephew, why QAnon is. Uh, yeah. QAnon. <laughs> I always call it, you know, argument by, by YouTube where you're sort of like, okay, okay, well, that's an interesting idea. Like what is your evidence? And then they'll kind of just like link to you to a YouTube. And then you go look at the link and it, it's like, it's like a 30 minute piece of crap video with like over modulated mics. And then you're like, so you come back and you go, all right, you know what? Look, I'm totally happy to watch this video, but here's the deal. I, I don't know what you find compelling in this video. Like I might, I might watch it and I find nothing compelling and come back to you and say, I, I didn't see anything. Could you just list like maybe the three most compelling things you think are in this video? And then I can totally watch for it. Never. Have I ever gotten anybody to say, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know, the 10-minute mark, they talk about this. That is, that's really central to the argument. And then this thing is really super important to pay attention to. And this other thing over here totally makes my, my point. No. It's just like, they'll come back and like, I'm not doing your fucking research for you. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do the work for you. It's like, <laughs> but, you, but you didn't do any work for yourself. Yeah. You just watched a video. Yeah, it's like you found the video compelling, but you cannot tell me what is compelling about it. Like, right. like, it, it it's like well, this, this, makes, this makes me feel like people like me are right is basically what it, what it comes down to. And exactly. you know, if you watch it, maybe you'll be convinced I'm right yeah. too. Um, right. Now, now your, your, your podcast – First, I'm having a hard time understanding how you number your podcast because oh, like, yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 an arcane system that uh, that you know the, the, what 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 happened was that uh, that basically I initially was was doing an episode a month and then I realized I can do more and so I was doing like little series of them okay. and and numbered it uh, numbered it accordingly and then once I stopped doing that I went back and just sort of read numbered 
everything just from one to to onward or or did like a what I tried to do and the thing about the numbering is I didn't need to number anything at all right right but I started off numbering and then I realized that the way I was doing the show you you didn't need to listen to it in any sort of order at all it, it, it's not sort of you know, topical in any way. So, um, why did I order any of these things? So, but once you've ordered, going back and changing all yeah. of the things is uh, yeah. is is a bit of a hassle. When I when I moved hosts about a year ago, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna. iTunes has the season tag now that you can use. Oh, so okay. I, I just sort of redid that to match up with okay. how I had it organized. Um, but uh, but if anybody out there wants to listen to it, you can pick any episode at all right. and okay. uh, right. and and listen in. Right any order now now the um your earlier podcast you you know you you promise no snark but i have yeah. noticed you would occasionally apologize okay like like this requires some snark. i know i said no snark at the beginning but this requires some snark and now you just i, I believe you sort of go ah, snark when appropriate snark, that's your snark, snark when justified yeah, yeah. exactly um, what, what, I, what what has been your journey <laughs> Um, the, the, the journey was, was, was basically realizing that, um, that, that I, I couldn't, I couldn't not be smarky, snarky with any degree of conviction. And and so I, and, 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 you know, some, um, you know, listeners point out, I was like, you know, it's okay to be snarky about some of these things. (laughs) I I, I guess so. You know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to be a, a podcast where, I never wanted the show, if people actually listened to it when I started, I, I didn't know if they would. I never wanted it to be able to be part of any article entitled, these are five UFO podcasts or these are five right, right. skeptical podcasts. It's like, right, no, yes. this, is, this is just the story of what happened. Yes, yes. Um, and I'm not saying this is true or, or look how fake this is. And then I realized some stuff has to, you can't, not be snarky about some of this stuff and, and the snark is is almost always from a place of affection because right, right. i have a lot of got a lot of love for a lot of these these figures in uh, in this field especially when you get back to the the 50s and 60s the, the closer you get to the present the less i like it yeah. um but um it, and so it's much easier to be snarky about about the stuff in the, in the eighties and nineties right. and 21st century because, because the field itself gets more cynical. Right. Um, and you know, you, you don't have the, the sense that, you know, we're, we're going to be forging a new world, you know, with the help of our space brothers, even, you know, in the modern times, even the, the sort of new agey channely type, you know, sort of, neo contactees um they're they're just kind of they, they don't have the personality or the fun um because they're they're professional sort of channelers and it's like no i, I want you to be a guy who ran a hamburger stand and and <laughs> also a cult but yes. also you know was visited by flying saucers I, I, that's what i want i don't want you to, to simply be new age guru joe who is channeling ashtar this week that's yeah, that's yeah. You know, who cares you know <laughs> give, me some, give me some personality and some story and i i find that, that the newer stuff doesn't really um it, it it's not as um it's not as sincere or it doesn't pull off acting sincere right, yeah. the way uh the way stuff did in the old days um of, of course that's probably the whole nostalgia thing um, talking, you know, things were better back in the 
pick a decade. Yeah. But, um, but still, I, I think you can sort of objectively look at at the entire UFO field in decades past and, and, and today and, and say, you know, it's, it's gotten more commercial. It's gotten more cynical. It's gotten, it's gotten less fun. Right. And, and so yeah. I think there's, I think there's room for snark, but I, I think the snark is, you know, it, it, I, I never want it to be sort of a, a, <laughs> I can't believe people are so stupid to believe this. <laughs> no, like, yeah, well, yeah. because they probably didn't, or at least not in the way we think of belief. They, they might've accepted bits of it. They might've seen something in it that appealed to them for one reason or another, but um, you can be snarky about aspects of it <laughs> yeah. rather than about the topic yeah. itself. Because if you're snarky about the topic, then why am I doing it? You know? Well, I mean, you've got a good, uh, I think it's your, your sort of your, your, your maxim or your kind of your, your check digit. Uh, you, 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 I think I tell stories like you're trying to tell, you're trying to tell a good story end yeah. of the day. And, uh, and you, you tell good stories, obviously <laughs> when I'm sort of, you know, working on, you know, sort of my own, my own stuff, you know, it's almost like, well, this guy got a lot from this person and this guy got a lot from this person. And, where where do you stop? You know, because you just keep going back and back, and then it's like Bolovatsky, but then Bolovatsky got it from this person, and yeah. you know, so how do you how do you just stop? <laughs> I that that's that's a good question. Right now, I'm working on a, a book project about conspiracy theories um, with happy endings, um, sort okay. of triumph, uh, uh, triumphalist conspiracy theories is sort oh, of the, 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 the phrase I'm using. So so QAnon is in there. Uh, a lot of the sovereign citizen legal stuff. Right, um, right. Use the right words. Uh, in the courtroom and you won't ever have to pay taxes yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Um, UFO disclosure movement, uh, right, yes. you know, any day now they're, they're going to tell the truth <laughs> and um, sort of tracing these narratives, how they, um, how they go through time. That That's one thing I've, I've had to, I've had to, um, you know, struggle with is, is where do I stop? You know, like you said, how far back do I go? And, and sort of the, the rule I've come up with, it, it's, you know, the, the practical side of it is, I stop at the point where I have enough content to fill the chapter without going over. So it's like, I have, I literally have no room to go back any further, but also there's sort of, you know, thematically, um, at what it, it's sort of the, the, the ship of Theseus sort of thing. How many parts do you replace yeah. before it's not the same thing? You know, how yes. far back do I go before I'm just talking about general philosophy or spirituality ah, or politics? And I'm not really we, we, we've passed the point where I'm really talking about the same thing. Right. Um, and, and so it's, it's that, that's sort of, sort of how I feel it out. And, and sort of the, the major sort of practical consideration is, is, you know, at what point do I feel like I do not actually have the knowledge to talk about this? Right. Um, and if I catch myself basically stringing together block quotes from other people, it's like, okay, th- this is, we need to dial this back a little bit. Um, and with the, with the show, um, it, it usually, uh, it usually has to do with, with sort of the, you know, how far, if, am I going back so far that this is going to turn into the part of the episode that people either, you know, stop listening or start fast forwarding. Right, so right, it's yes. like, okay, I've, I've, I've moved past the point where I'm covering the topic that they thought I was going to Right, cover right. when I pressed play. So it, it, it mostly comes down to uh, those sorts of practical things. Right. You, you did a couple episodes on Frank E. 
strange. Yeah, strangers. Yeah, and my favorite contactee is is George King, the uh, uh, oh, serious, serious dude. Yeah, and because uh, I, I remember uh, my friend Terry and I, my friend Terry, I mentioned from time to time, he is like the uh, Betty and Barney Hill expert dude. Oh, um, yeah. And one day I will have him on my podcast. But uh, um, he, we went to see a talk by the Ethereum Society, like proof of UFOs, and um, you know they're they're offering proof of UFOs, and and their proof was in essence that on Tuesday, there was a newspaper article. On Wednesday, George King wrote about the space aliens telling him, commenting on the newspaper article. But this is the 50s, and decades later, people don't know that newspaper article ever existed. They just think the space aliens are talking about something, and then they find out... (gasps) This was abs- this was true, you know. <laughs> How did George King know about you know know about um, uh, this uh, you know this nuclear accident or something? And it's like, oh yeah, well because the day before in the New York Times they were talking about radiation detectors being set off like crazy, you know, and and they weren't really sure what it was, but but they're thinking at some place over in Russia. And and then the next day, you know, you know, Aetherius is telling George King about the nuclear accident in Russia. And then it's like, yeah. And so they don't really, when you went back and research, you're like, oh, yeah, every single one of their proofs, you know, George King knew something nobody else knew. Therefore, he got it from space science. It's like, no, George King just read that in the headlines. Like, it was just in the headlines. And, and but him and strangest they uh i call it sort of credential log rolling it's yes like, yeah yes. strangest would make him like minister of the year george king and then george king would be like you are the you know the grand general of the you know the the order of saturn and and have you found this like i call it it's called i think it's called credentialism george king to me was the worst i mean he was like bishop of this and and prince of this and and have you did you sort of find this that you a lot of these contactees were really yeah. into this? Um, George Adamski always you know was referred to as professor. Yes, and yes. Never sort of claimed to have any credential, but he didn't tell people not to call him professor. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, George George Hunt Williamson. He did some did some academic research and field work right. in archaeology, but was not not a professor of archaeology yeah. as he sometimes claimed. Daniel Fry uh, claimed to uh, you know use the title doctor and and said you know he got his degree from such and such a place, and it was you know a, a lot of times these degrees are unaccredited you know, diploma mill sorts of, uh, yeah. sorts of places. I, I, I do kind of prefer the George King style of, of, of sort of, uh, c- clerical and, and religious titles that, you know, it, it's like, like, okay, you're, you're not really, you're, you're not really, you're not saying you're a bishop in the Roman Catholic church. You're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. Just, you're, you're a bishop of, of this other organization. And Hey, you very well might be, I yeah. do not know that organization, exactly. but, but yeah, it does yeah. have the word Catholic in it though, but well, know, small, small C cat, you know, universal. Yeah. Yeah. Universal. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and strangers was, was that way too, you know, with, with his, uh, with his, um, and, and he, with his, uh, organizations he claimed to be a part of, I think there's some police organization that, yeah, that he yeah. said, it, which is basically, you know, not fake, but not really anything yeah, yeah. anybody should care about. Um, Stranges was an interesting guy. He he was he was um, not a fraud in a lot of ways, but I think he was 
very fraud adjacent. Right. Uh, he was sort yes, of yes, yes. connected to a lot of people who were who were up to no good. And um, you know, he, his uh, I think the most recent episode I did on him was was a colleague of mine, uh, Jack Brewer of uh, the UFO Trail blog, which is really really good. Um, he uh, he came across uh, Strange's FBI file, some some FBI stuff that I didn't have. And and what's what's funny about it is it's it's a lot of people sort of writing to the FBI saying, I don't think the strangest guy is on the up and up. Um, and he claims to be working for the FBI, which he never actually did. But he said, he sort of said things that would lead people to believe he was without actually saying it, which is pretty clever. Um, but also a lot of letters to various FBI directors, like from the 60s on through the 80s, just saying, we here at the at International Evangelical Crusade or whatever his organization was, we, we, we just want you to know that, that you know, Merry Christmas, and we think you're doing a great job um, in service to our country. It's just like weird letters sucking up to the FBI um, <laughs> every so often, which is very strange. Um, but, but strange is, you know, he, he sort of, you know, roving flying saucer preacher man, but also contactee because he had his his friend Valiant Thor, uh, the space captain. From- Which is a great name. Like, like if you look, if you look at the contactees, stupidest fucking names, and then strangest backs into the great name Valiant, Valiant Thor. Thor. Like it's the most comic book thing ever. Yeah, it's, but it, it's, it's an awesome name though. It is. I. Mean, it's not. I mean, the rest of them it's almost like George Lucas level. Yeah, dumb alien, Furkan, Orthon, Zul. Exactly. You know, my, my favorite alien contactee name is Na Nine of the Solar X Group. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was a uh, George Hunt Williamson channeling thing. Yeah. Na yeah. Nine of the Solar X Group. But um, but yeah, uh, Valiant Thor, who who stayed at the Pentagon for a few years and was was trying to uh, get Eisenhower and Nixon to um, to uh, change their ways and, and yeah. you know. Here's some information that will help the economy and you know, <laughs> you know, not be dependent on foreign trade and, and we can end the Cold War. We can do all these things. Nixon and Eisenhower weren't interested because it would undermine you know, American commerce or something yeah. like that. But um, yeah, and then the great thing about Val Thor and his crew members from Venus is that there are photographs of them. Um, <laughs> there are photographs of people. At, I think it was a – I think it was a uh, – Oh, who was it? The guy out east, the East Coast Adamski. Um, I am blanking on the name. Shoot, that's the guy who married, ditched his wife and married the woman who's the reincarnated woman that he was married oh, to in a previous yeah. life on Venus. Howard Mencher. Howard okay. Mencher. Um, I, th- I think that the photos of uh, Val Thor and his crew were, um, were taken at a, at a Howard Mencher meeting. And um, there's some, and I can't remember where I read this, but there's some um, rumor innuendo that uh, Gray Barker, the UFO publisher and oft times hoaxer actually hired some actors to go oh. up and, and basically tell, you know, get photographed and that Gray Barker was behind all this. But, but Strange has, you know, promoted it as a uh, as a legitimate photo. Wow. You know, I, I I stumbled on I think the genesis of the Men in Black uh, legend. You you've got so the dawn of you know things like NICAP, and you've got these you know these, these are comic kids who read comic books now they're reading UFO magazines and and now they've you know joined a UFO group and they've become a you know they got the UFO investigator pass and then they hear something there's been a sighting so. 
three of them, because they're, they're all pretty chicken they you know they put on their dad's black suit right and they want to look like fbi agents and they go out and they try to interview these people and when you talk about when they talk about you know these men in black they they were just they were really pale so of course you know kids in their basement nerdy pale comic book kids they're pale and they're just they they don't seem to act like normal human beings of course super socially awkward kids and you know they don't know how to use technology because they're kids and you know but then they're warning us right and and then you know it's like you go out and investigate okay we're going to now write this up but we know there's another group coming up right behind it so we're going to interview them so we you know we want to get our article in you know flying saucer review before they do so we're going to tell them don't talk to anybody from there that to to me is probably uh, you know one possible genesis of the whole men and men in black thing just just kids dressing in their dad's suits awkward telling you now don't talk to anybody else because i want to get this published yeah i i think i think that's uh, that's definitely i'm sure there was some of that i mean i i think i talked about this on one of the christmas bonus episodes um i think i told the story uh me and it's uh it's actually uh, associate producer simpson j hanover the third um when we were in college there was a, a crop circle um yes, yes. near where we lived and so we we dressed in it was like July. It was ninety degrees. I'm wearing like a tweed suit. Uh, he's in an over, like a trench coat. We're out there. We got this fake sort of paranormal energy detector. We cobbled up. We're basically just like goofing around. And there was one guy who um, who was uh, convinced we were actually official. No matter how much we tried to tell him that we weren't, he was he was like, I, I know you know all about me. It's like no. <laughs> No, we don't. He's like, yeah, yeah. You can't fool me. It's like, really? It's us? He's like, we're, we're, we're visibly like 20 years old. <laughs> we are not, you know, scary government types. Um, yeah, the, the men in black thing is, is interesting because there, there's like a couple different sort of origin stories or, or like earliest right, um, right. sightings. There's like uh, Maury Island out in uh, out in Washington State near Seattle. There's uh, there's Al Bender, you know, being visited by the three men who tell him to shut down uh, shut down his organization because he uh, he's gotten they know he's gotten too close right. to the truth. Uh, and then Gray Barker writes his his book. Um, they knew too much about flying saucers, which is I think still my favorite flying saucer book. Right. ever just because it's this sort of first person reportage and it's just tweaked enough to be right. interesting but a lot of it i mean i've been down to the the gray barker papers in west virginia and looked at correspondence from the time and a lot of the basic story is you know borne out by the letters that were going back and forth between these guys it's like bender says this happened what happened bender's not talking bender writes back i I can't talk about this this is what happened um it's you know someday i'm going to write my story and then you'll know the truth it's really interesting how in the letters from the time um it's there's no documentation like okay let's all get together and cook up this story about the men in black it's you know bender has this story and he shuts down his organization and his friends are trying to figure out what's going on and then you know Barker collects these other man in black stories and sort of creates this grand narrative that there might be somebody or some entities trying to, to shut up UFO stifle UFO investigation. So it it sort of grows fairly organically. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, you know, you know, we are talking about FBI, like when you kind of, you know, I mean, you go back to the contactees and you sort of read these things. I mean, there's, there's, 
there's stuff that is core and, you know, core to dogma today that is back in the 50s. But then there's these side details like, um, you know, like everyone was talking about the FBI in the 50s. And then it kind of became the CIA. And then when you get into the 90s or sort of the 80s and you're reading a lot of these documents in the 80s, everyone's talking about the Rand Corporation, which... I mean, you know, people might know about the Rand Corporation, but it's like, wow, I didn't realize how big the Rand Corporation was was looming in people's minds in the 80s. And I know you just did a podcast on that, I I think. I haven't listened to it yet. but It uh, it, it came out today, um, or today as we're recording this. Um, Yeah, the Rand Corporation, big sort of Cold War era uh, think tank that uh, was spun off from the Douglas Aircraft Corporation, um, sort of also established by some Air Force people to do research and development. By the 1950s and 1960s, they were involved in research in almost every aspect of defense and intelligence planning and um, economics and finance and industry and science and social science and, and almost everything you can think of. The Rand Corporation had researchers working on things. And in 1968, there was an internal uh, by George Coker, uh, uh, astrophysicist or astronomer, um, did an internal report about UFOs and, and what the future of UFO research should look like. And it was never officially sort of peer-reviewed and published by the Rand Corporation. Um, it was sort of just an internal study. And um, but, but the thing is, and they didn't really do much else with UFOs. They, they sort of discussed as part of war games planning, um, the possibility of interplanetary invasion, um, more as a, a thought experiment than as, but some people have said, what did they know? You know, and, and things like that. But the, the Rand Corporation also was um, fairly heavily involved in, uh, in some, some research that is uh, a little problematic. Uh, yeah. They did some LSD research as far as stuff that could be connected to MK ultra and mind control experimentation. Um, most recently they were involved along with the, uh, the American psychological association, um, in some research that, uh, that could be used to, um, help develop enhanced interrogation techniques or what back in the old days we called torture. Yeah. Um, and, and so they, they're, it's not like they're they're this pure evil outfit that is you know secretly plotting our downfall, but by the 1980s, especially the the, the sort of um, sort of the left of center conspiracy theorists see the Rand Corporation as as sort of the the embodiment of this military industrial complex right. that okay. is you know you know inimical to you know, peace and freedom and justice and, and all sorts of good things. So it, it's, it's such a cold war. It's a monolithic cold war entity. Right. It, it's, it's just of that era. And so it, it sort of gets lumped in as, you know, we can see this as being, you know, these are, this is an example of, of what the bad guys are doing. Right, they're, right they're, you know, science being sort of enslaved to the military and, and to the intelligence establishment um, for nefarious purposes. All right. All right. Well, we should wrap up. You've been, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you. No problem. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah. Um, you know, my kind of my final question is always, um, you know, if somebody saw you at a conference and uh, heard you on Conspiracy Skeptic uh, you know, and they wanted to buy you a drink, what, what, what would they buy you? Uh, the hoppiest IPA available. Okay. 
Absolutely. What what are you drinking, by the way, right Uh, now? This is uh, this is a uh, Spinal Crusher Double IPA. Oh, great. Okay. From uh, Right Brain Brewing in Traverse City, Michigan. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were growing up in the seventies, like American beer was nothing to really write home about. But but no, but yeah, but uh, you know the craft beer industry. I mean, all over the place has sort of taken off, and there there are some very excellent beers. And uh, there's some amazing breweries in uh, in Ontario um, yeah, that yeah. that do some really good stuff. I the last time I was in Canada, um, I. Uh, me and me and Simpson were were doing a uh, where were oh we were um, I was doing a, a series of library talks around Michigan okay. last okay. summer and so he came along with me and we did a little road trip down uh, to Detroit and uh, he was like well let's let's drive through Canada I'm like why why are we so we drove from we drove from from basically Sarnia down to oh yeah I forget okay. where it is but it's where the ferry crosses it, in, in Michigan is Marine City but uh, okay. there's a ferry crossing across okay. the uh, St Clair. Um, river there and uh we stopped at walmart in sarnia and uh, i stocked up on on good ontario craft beer so yeah and he stocked up on on kit kat with the good chocolate not oh yeah not like the american kit kat with the lousy hershey chocolate good good nestle chocolate oh no one of my best friends lives in hershey pennsylvania so Uh (laughs) he's very he's very partisan to hershey but Uh, uh, it's it's basically uh (laughs) it's basically wax it's it's not real chocolate Nigel, don't hate me. I'm sorry. I'll bleep this out. No, it's, it's, it's not Carl's fault, Nigel. It's, 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 he does not share my views. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You were. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the. Um, if I've intrigued any of my listeners to go listen to the Saucer Life, um, uh, definitely listen to your talk you gave in Halifax, or but you know, I guess they have like a Shag Harbor UFO. Yeah, I spoke at the 50th, that, yeah. an- 50th anniversary of the Shag Harbor incident. Yeah. Uh, back in 2017, and, yeah. uh, about crashed saucer stories. Yeah, and I mean, it was very. I, I dare use the word skeptical, but you know, I mean, you were you were very kind of. You know, critical and open and and um and just like just this just took from this and this took from this and there's just there's nothing here and this is just a lot that's kind of a common thing as you go through yeah. all this there's just not a lot there and uh, it, was a, it was a risky approach to take yes, yes. A, yeah. an event for but i think one of the reasons i i sort of took that approach is to sort of highlight how the shag harbor incident was actually really different from right, okay. the typical UFO crash story, um, and it, it's a better story, and it's a more right, yeah. um, more plausible and, and intriguing story than yeah. you know Roswell or yeah. well anything that's like Roswell. But yeah, that that was that was a that was a good one. Um, yeah. Another one that uh, that people seem to like is uh, we did a couple episodes about uh, the Kelly uh, goblins right, down yes, in yes. Kentucky. One was sort of a, a regular episode about it, and the other was sort of uh, me and uh, me and associate producer Simpson J. Hanover the third down in Kentucky this summer um, with our our masks, social distancing ourselves okay. by going to the middle of Kentucky where there's nobody, and uh, <laughs> sort of looking driving past those scenes and, and trying to find old farms on maps that don't exist anymore right, yeah. and things like uh, that yeah yeah i mean w- one of the things i do like about your podcast is i mean you also have that no no belief you know that it's you you can listen to your podcast and you have no idea are are you this raving saucer <laughs> believing lunatic or are you this hardcore skeptic and and you can't tell, you know, you just are just very, you know, objective and you, you tell a good story and you, like, snark where appropriate. And, and, you know, yeah, I mean, 
you get the feeling that maybe like you, you, you would really like there to believe something is going on underneath this, but, but there's just not a lot there. Like, right. Yeah. That's pretty much where I am. It's like some of these things like, you know what, this is really interesting. I wonder what actually happened because yeah. there's a lot of cases where um, the, the contactee um, Orfeo Angelucci uh, he, he's his story is so weird and vivid and interesting that I, I kind of think he experienced something yeah. and uh, I, I don't, I think it was earthly, um, but I'm not sure what it was. And I would really like to know because it certainly sounds like he was the subject of some kind of psychological experimentation. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to know what happened. And, and some of the others is like, Oh, that's a fun story. And I, I just love the story and I yeah. love these people. And I love, love how it gets, uh, it gets handled and, and sort of how it's presented. Yeah. And, and some are just like, I hate this story, but it's significant. <laughs> so here it is. It, it's like, it's like covering, um, Oh, it's like covering the industrial revolution in class. I I'm bored with it. Um, but got to do it. Uh, the, 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 the populists and the progressive era in the Gilded Age in the United States. I hate, it's my least favorite part of oh, the yeah. semester, but I need to tell you about this and we need to understand it, but we'll get through <laughs> it and then we'll get on to something fun like World War I or the Great right. Depression. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right, Aaron. Well, I should let you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. And again, thank that, you. That podcast is? The Saucer Life. The Saucer you, can, Life. Uh, you can get yep. it at saucerlife.com or anywhere you find podcasts. Okay, yes. And you have published a number of books as well. So Yeah, they're on the website. Um, so do, do investigate. <laughs> yeah. And I will also say go go to your website. Also find the not just the podcasts you've done, but the interviews you've done. And I think Yeah, there's really a, a link yeah. up at the top yeah. to appearances on other shows, which I need to update. I'm a, I'm a few shows. Yeah. behind on updating that but yeah i've, I've been on uh a bunch of shows yeah 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 you, yeah, you, you are you're kind of like i say you're, you're you you really hit your form when you are on the other side of the mic and i mean you know, i'm mean, obviously we, you're doing your solo show great stuff but when you're kind of now sort of on the other being the interviewed you do give a good interview well i don't have, i don't have to think as much so exactly. it, <laughs> it's a lot more fun all right, all right, then. It was, it was really nice to have you on, and I, I will nice let to you be go, here. sir. Great. Okay, are you being any conferences you're going to? I know that's probably all shut down with COVID, but uh, um, no, nothing, uh, nothing on the horizon. Uh, I right. had a couple virtual conferences this fall, but yeah, nothing. Okay. Uh, all right, nothing on the horizon. Sadly. All right. Okay. All right. Have a good, have a good night, Aaron. Thanks. You too. Right, bye bye. Bye.